Well, we finally did it. We made it to the end of the NBA Finals. It is a wrap. The Golden State Warriors took Game Six. They win the series four to two, and now they have won their fourth championship in eight years. And Steph Curry was voted unanimously Finals MVP. Welcome into Dropping Dimes. I am your host, Matt Nost, and I'm here to do a little post-mortem on the series as a whole um, because it seemed foolish to wait until next Wednesday to actually do the show uh, because at that point, it'll be, you know, a week since the last game was played and the world will have moved on in that instance. So... The Warriors finally take it last night. The Celtics came out in that early opening couple minutes of the first quarter. They go up 12-2. to They have the crowd on their side. They've got momentum. They're hitting shots. They're moving the ball around. Um, but watching it, I don't know if you were like me, and, you know, you have to give it time. Just watching you like, look, it, it's early to start celebrating this much. I understand why the fans go that crazy. It makes all the sense in the world. That's what you want to see your team do. But you have to also rationally sit there and think, well, this is the Warriors. They do have a tremendous amount of championship equity built up. And they've proven they can weather quite a few storms in these finals thus far that we can't get too exuberant too over the top um first person coming in what's up yuri um yeah i didn't uh i realized after i uh ended the podcast like the next day i was like you know what i never gave a time as to when i would start this and i just uh i figured people would assume it'd be my usual 12 p.m pacific standard but uh anyway and the Warriors did weather that early storm. The Celtics went up and they had a double-digit lead. And then the Warriors basically blew the doors off the Celtics and built their own double-digit lead and then never relinquished it from there on. And it was really impressive to watch. Both sides of the ball. I mean, Robert Williams, bad knee and all, was an absolute menace. Can you imagine if he had been fully, as close to 100% healthy as anybody is at this point in the season, as opposed to having to have his knee drained and eventually giving up on that um, and just playing through the pain and hoping that the surgically repaired MCL isn't going to have any long-term damage because all the extra action that he's putting on it, as opposed to, you know, he took, you have a couple of different routes when you have that MCL, but to have the surgery is the most detrimental. It gets you back quicker, but if you just let the MCL heal long-term, you're going to have more than likely fewer problems. Whereas to have the surgically repaired one, now you run the risk of in 10 years, 15 years, having constant knee problems. 
and then playing on it like this is more than likely only going to exacerbate the recuperation time now and increase the chances and the likelihood that he's going to have knee troubles in the second act of, uh, the second act of his life. Um, but given the quotes that he put out there, I would assume it was worth it to him. Because you don't know how many opportunities you're going to get in the finals. And he played like there was no pain in that knee. It really it really makes you think that they did the cortisol shot and something else because he was a block machine last night and got called on a foul on one block where there was no foul, uh, so should have had at least one more, but was affecting the trajectory of shots. Like Wiggins had a layup where basically threw it at the very top of the backboard. Just Robert Williams is there. Holy shit. Uh, I'm not going to get this over him. I got to come up with some fancy, maybe I can do a little, you know, a, a teardrop bank off the very tippy top of the backboard. Well, that didn't work. Um, and he was all over the place. Al Horford was hitting clutch three after clutch three. Anytime the Warriors get a three, he'd come back down like in the second half and get an answer three. And then like Otto Porter had an answer for his answer once. And the Warriors just kept returning fire on him. But he showed up uh, and so, so far in the, the chat, we've got Yuri, we've got Jeremy Bowers, we've got Daniel Savoy. Jeremy says, what's up, Matt? What's up, Jeremy? And then Daniel says, hello, hello, not an excuse. Celtics had a longer road than the Warriors to get to the finals, and boy, did it show last night's game. Um, I, I, I The minutes... Tatum played an obscene amount of minutes compared to everybody else in the playoffs. Uh, and he played the most in the finals. Even for a 24-year-old, it's hard not to be gassed in that instance. And the Celtics did. They had a longer, tougher road. They had to go through really difficult competition. Not to say that the Warriors didn't, but to knock off Brooklyn which people, myself included, were like, I don't know what you're going to get for them. You know, I figured it was between a five and seven game series. I didn't see sweep. Uh, but I was like, you could talk me into a world where Brooklyn wins this just because you have Durant. Last year, Durant with, you know, a, a collection of guys around him was an inch away from making it to the conference finals. And thereby, I think, making it to the finals and having a decent shot of winning it all. My belief going into that Milwaukee-Brooklyn series last year was whoever wins this wins the championship. Um, ended up bearing, you know, or, or being correct given the fact that Milwaukee won it. So coming into it this season, you're like, well, good. You could talk yourself into this reality again. And then to go from that to go to the, the defending champs. Now, they didn't have Middleton, but Milwaukee still took it to them. Had to go seven games, and they turn around and have to go to the Heat and one of the more bruising teams in the playoffs, and they're going to make you earn it. And that's where Tatum got that stinger in his shoulder that may or may not have affected him in the finals. Um, he was wincing a couple times and rolling his shoulder, trying to stretch it out. So it looked as though there was some lingering pain. 
I'm happy to see that the finals ended and then we didn't get this litany of mystery injuries that there've never been any word of, which has happened in years past in the finals and in big playoff series. Suddenly a guy you didn't know has what should be a catastrophic injury. And then you never hear word of it again. They walk out, they do that final game, post-game presser. They're nursing whatever injury. And the next time you see them, there is a, no discussion of that injury whatsoever. And you're like, wow, what a miraculous recovery. Uh, um, so I didn't see any of that last night. And it may come out. But the Celtics had a hell of a road to get to the finals. And it showed. They were gassed a lot of times, especially in fourth quarters. And something could be said for the fact that it was tough to figure out what their crunch time statistics were and the clutch play, you know, metrics that you can look up in late game situations during the regular season, just because they were beating other teams to the degree that, well, they're not playing their main guys late in the games and nor should they have. Um, but those guys showed up for the other previous three rounds. So you figured, okay, coming into this, they're young. Yes, they played a lot of minutes, but compared to the Warriors, you've got almost a decade age difference. This should benefit you in that regard. And you're going up against the veteran savviness of the Warriors. And, you know, it's a push and pull between those those two realities. And Tatum now has the ignominious distinction of being the all-time playoffs turnover leader. He's got exactly 100 through the playoffs, which pretty much obliterated the previous record. And the disconcerting thing is Jalen Rose is second for the entire playoffs. It's 74. Now, they've played the most games, 24 games between them. But still, for Tatum, that's averaging a shade over four turnovers a game. And for Brown, that's three turnovers a game. That's a lot of turnovers. Now, by comparison, if you just look at the numbers themselves, you know, Luca is tied for third on this list, and he only played in 15 games and he had 59 turnovers. So had Luca made it to the finals, I think he would have crushed the 104, you know, or the 100 uh, turnover. Uh, probably would have gotten like 110, assuming it goes to six games and everything else. But I think the the hardest thing to kind of wrap your head around is Tatum's shooting percentage from two for the series. He was lights out from three to the degree where you're almost watching it going, perhaps you should just keep shooting threes and run, you know, pick and roll action. But you never do anything other than step back threes or 
be part of flare screens where you're the second screener on the flare that doesn't roll to the basket and just flashes out above the three-point arc and is a catch-and-shoot player. I mean, his playmaking was still really good. Um, you know, he was getting assists and finding guys and making smart plays when he's running into uh, defenders. And you have to give credit to Wiggins and Clay, Steph at times, a Draymond, uh, even Looney a couple times. The Warriors' defense really uh, showed up, but his shooting from two was just off. And if you look at his, you know, point totals overall, it's not as as harrowing as people make it out to be. He just didn't have, you know, a thirty-five point game at any point. He had a couple upper twenties. It's it's. You would hope this is just part of the growth and maturation of the player because part of the discourse last night online was now, instead of just saying, dude, congratulations to all involved. I I feel for you, Celtics players and fans, that you didn't get the championship, but you also have a young core of really interesting and competitive guys and the future is bright. And for the Warriors, this is incredible. I mean, a lot of people are pulling out the misnomer of worst record in the league two years ago. Didn't win their playing game last year to champions this year. Uh, but two years ago, they weren't the team. There's no Steph. There's no Clay. Draymond is mentally checked out because he's playing with a bunch of young guys and and not his usual teammates, and he knows that they have no real shot to win a championship. So he's he's nowhere near the type of player he is. So the whole worst to first in two years, it's a bit of a stretch. But anyway, back to the point. So instead of the discourse being congrats to the winners and, you know, a hearty congrats to, to the losers for putting up a hell of an effort and proving that you're a championship quality team. And instead it was Tatum's not a number one. He's not the guy. We got to do something about this. Marcus Smart isn't our point guard. We need a real point guard. Uh, or at the very least, uh, a competent backup, which I would agree with on the competent backup. Um, especially to get the ball at certain points out of Tatum and Brown's hands to play make, then to kick to them, and they should have driving lanes or open threes to take advantage of their better skill sets. And I, I understand that part of the reaction of the loss is you, you do an autopsy on the cadaver that lies before you. But even on the flip side, on the Warriors, instead of just celebrating the Warriors, I saw a, a, numerous fights about how Steph now having four affects LeBron's legacy. And you're like, who fucking cares? Technically, the only two people that should care are LeBron and Curry. And I would imagine in this moment, Curry is not thinking about that in the slightest. And I I, I can't fathom that LeBron does either. But I just saw so much back and forth. As Instead of just celebrating all the amazing stuff we watched, 
another stellar performance from Curry, getting his first finals MVP. Part of the discourse last night was what was wrong and how does this affect my favorite player? Just like, who fucking cares? Get over yourselves. Enjoy the game. In very short order, LeBron and Curry are not going to be in the NBA anymore. So why don't we just enjoy the time we have with them as opposed to saying, your guy sucks, my guy's better. I don't know. Anyway, that's an old man rant, I guess. Um, But back to the the game last night. Could be the first Jordan Poole uh, in the finals where he very much reminded me of the Phoenix Suns at times. He is good when you have a lead and there's momentum, but when you're down or you really need a bucket, he's hit and miss. And there's one, one thing of his late in a quarter in a two for one situation. I think he could be the worst in this series at making the decision on that. He just sees it and then rushes up a, a well-defended step-back three more often than not. Now, he did hit the two buzzer-beater third quarters and almost had another one last night. Well, had an opportunity to get one uh, last night. So there is that, but I'm talking about the two-for-one where you're trying to get time it out and there's roughly, you know, 28 seconds left in the quarter. So you get a shot up now because the other team then is going to leave you three to six seconds on the clock for another opportunity to score on top of that. Um, But every time he gets it in that situation, I'm like, I pass to someone else, get it to Wiggins, get it to Curry, get it to clay. I'd take anybody else in this situation right now. It just seems so shaky. Um, but Poole stepped up and was huge for him. Just helped maintain that lead when they needed clutch bucket after clutch bucket. Because there was, at the beginning of this series, it was the Warriors basically relying on Curry to do everything, man. We need you to play make. We need you to shoot well from three. We need you to get to the free throw line. We need you to finish at the rim because right now everybody's doing a lot of standing around and watching. So if you're not going to carry us, we have no real shot. And then it slowly pivoted and Wiggins kind of came into his own a little bit more and a little bit more and exerted his will on the offense. And I also think that's a byproduct of the gravity of Curry as they're switching their defense to take Curry out of it because he was torching them. It just frees up the lanes uh, for Wiggins to roll downhill and for Draymond to get those uh, short roll passes where he's so excellent at finding open shooters or guys running to the rim, but on that short roll where he gets it right around the free throw line. Um, But to see other players, Clay shows up in game five, had a, Pretty abysmal shooting night last night. I think it was, what, 5 of 20? Not <clears throat> not the ideal. But now Clay's got a full offseason, comes into next year's training camp, 
and should hopefully inch even further back to Clay. It'll be interesting. If you look at the Warriors payroll, they've got some decisions coming up in the very near future. I think the biggest of which is probably Looney. They've got Wiggins under contract for one more year, uh, Poole under contract for two more. I think a team option is on year two. Wiggins just ends after next season. And they've got Steph, Clay, and Dre under contract for two to four years between them. And then uh, Wiseman, Kaminga, and Moody. And then everybody else is either expiring after this season or expiring after next season. And their payroll is already above the projected salary cap by a mile next year. And that's the, you know, perhaps part of the CBA the next time around is hard capping what a team can spend. But that being said, three out of those four that are eating up the preponderance of their salary cap are all homegrown stars. So maybe they'll factor that into the CBA. It's like, if this is your guy that you drafted and build up, then only 75% of his contract counts against the salary cap, thereby rewarding you for helping to foster and nurture a guy's growth into a superstar. Perhaps, who knows? And for the Celtics, like, I think a lot of this is run it back. I don't know how much of a wholesale change I would make. Getting another point guard in there and a ball handler, yes, and a more depth at center so that you're not struggling for answers when Robert Williams has to sit. Uh, yes, I would agree with both of those. But those are both backup positions. Solidify those, extend your potential rotation down to eight or nine guys that you really trust. And I think you could easily run this back. Um, but I, the whole overreaction to, we got to get Marcus out of here. I saw that last night. Like, I don't agree with that. I think I'll, he is, you know, he got two early fouls on the Warriors. One uh, was a legit foul. The other one was a flop. That's Marcus, you know. And then later on, he flopped a couple of times, didn't get the call, and it's push and pull. The refs are only going to fall for it so many times. You can't cry wolf every time. We're not going to believe that you're taking this much contact, especially on a simple hit, and then you go flying, sliding across the floor for five, six feet. But that being said, I'm not dragging Marcus, and the reason is because Marcus knows it, and he is quoted as saying, yeah, I flop. He's not trying to hide behind, oh, no, these were all legitimate fouls. It's like, no, no, no. I am. There are times when I do get hit, but there are other times where I exaggerate the contact in the hopes that the ref will buy into that. It's like, good for you, Marcus. At least you are fully honest and aware of what precisely is going on. I think for Jalen, work on the ball handling. That would be my only note. There, there was that one where he uh, dribbled into two warriors on the fast break, 
and fell down and they called it out on the warriors. And, uh, I want to say on the replay, it was, it was close, but they called it and they were never going to overturn it. If you went to look at the replay, it wasn't conclusive to me. They only played the replay a couple of times to where you could see it, but I swear to God, his right foot, as he was uh, twisting around on the ground, uh, his right heel hit the ball last, but I could be mistaken. Um, but a, a few times like that, where he's just barreling in and loses possession, especially when the Warriors were forcing him, I believe, to his left. And he just didn't look steady. But I would just work on that. It's like, okay. And then Tatum, I'm curious as to why the two-point field goals were so atrocious. Because he shot in the 20s from two. And from three, he was lights out. I want to say he shot 47% for the the series on a decent volume, not on some light... It's like sometimes when you uh, go into the stats and you uh, uh, highlight them by, you know, whatever metric you want, but you can highlight and sort by three-point field goal percentage. And there's four people at 100%. It's like, well, you took one and you hit it. Uh, So then I add an extra filter on that and then look at minutes played and then take people out that or attempts just to get an idea of, okay, you need to be shooting a certain volume before I count your percentage. Um, but I mean, it was just really good from three and Horford last night was aggressive. Why we didn't see more of that in games two through five. I'm not sure because in game one, he was one of their saviors. And then game six, it's like every time they needed a bucket, I think he went four of six from three. Like he was, I, I just kept getting to him. Those corner threes, every time he shot it, I, when I was watching, I was like, that's good. That's going in. Um, he just looked to be in rhythm, knew it was his night, kept shooting it. But the resiliency of the Warriors, anytime the Celtics would climb back in, they'd get a couple buckets. They'd hunker down. They'd get a defensive stop. You know, Gary Payton or Wiggins or Draymond or someone would alter a shot, jump into a passing lane to get a turnover. That's the other thing. The Celtics, I mean, just the overall turnover, 22 last night. The stat coming in that everybody knew is if they can keep it under 16 turnovers, they're pretty lethal. And then if they go above 16 turnovers, they're guaranteed to pretty much lose the game. Uh, and the Warriors are an exceedingly turnover-prone team. It's, if you watch them on a consistent enough basis, it's the only frustrating thing about watching them a lot are sometimes the lazy passes or taking the defense for granted and not thinking, oh, I could just do this little skip pass. And uh, all defender has to be doing is paying a modicum of det- uh, attention, and they're going to pick it off every time. Warriors do that quite a bit. It's got to be frustrating for Kerr and the coaching staff. Um, But. All right, let's jump back into the chat because it's been a while since uh, I checked in to see what you guys are thinking. Um, Jeremy Bauer says Wiggins was stellar again. I agree. Yuri McGarley says I can't be mad at Golden State winning. 
the way they share the basketball is simply beautiful. Um, so Jeremy Bowers asked, do you contribute the high amount of turnovers to good defense, bad plays, or exhaustion? I think it's a function of all three. The bad plays, I think, would be if you're, you know, order of operations on this, it's a 1A, 1B between good defense and exhaustion, whichever one you want to order there, and then bad plays. Only every once and again did they really break down, but that breakdown was because the defense was pretty good or great. So, like, when they get into their sets and they make those extra passes, like uh, those those corner threes from Horford that I brought up, a couple of those were from smart acknowledging, hey, he's shooting well tonight and doing the one extra pass when he has a semi-open look to throw it over and kick it over. I just remember one, the I think it was the last one that Horford hit in uh, the left corner. And Marcus just made the extra pass once again. And Horford is even more open than he was, and it went in. Um, But yeah, I would chalk it up to exhaustion and good defense. But they had to be gassed. I mean, the amount of minutes that... Tatum had to play overall was, you know, really impressive. I mean, he has so many. Anyway, let's let's move on, shall we? Uh, next comment. Oh, uh, let's see. Sean Gardner was very entertaining series. Fun to watch. Already excited for next year. Chris Miner, think Warriors will repeat? I think there's a very good chance, especially if Wiseman comes back healthy. Maybe, but you got to look at the West overall. So now the Mavs just got Christian Wood and they're going to get Tim Hardaway Jr. back, who they didn't have, and they already made it to the Western Conference Finals without Hardaway and they just shored up their center position. That's going to be really interesting. I mean, it's a one-year rental unless you really love Christian Wood and you want to pay him the money. But what they gave up for him was basically a pick and three guys that aren't really playing for him. I'm sure they're going to miss Boban, but uh, I mean, that's what they gave up was a pick to get a quality center who might be this generation's Hassan Whiteside, just in that there seems to be a reason teams are kind of willing to give up on this guy. I'll be intrigued. But you got them, Nuggets, Jamal Murray will finally be back next year, and we'll see uh, you know, how they look. Once they get back to, to health, because then they got MPJ too, whatever his back issue is. But Denver is going to be coming back healthier. The Clippers will be coming back healthier. And they'll uh, it'll be intriguing to see if that mix of individuals will be able to, you know, uh, finally kind of make it work and live up to the promise that everybody assumed. You figure Memphis only learned from this year and they 
exhibited a tremendous amount of resiliency over the course of last regular season. You know, Jaws out, they continue to win. Jai and Jaron Jackson are out, they continue to win. Um, and they have so many tradable guys that if there is an opportunity to go out to get a veteran presence that they think could help win a championship, they can easily make any kind of uh, number of moves. Uh, Phoenix, the number one team in the league this year by leaps and bounds until it got to the playoffs. Will they learn from that and move on? I don't know. New Orleans, Zion comes back. They already look like a playoff caliber team. Will they be a handful? It seems completely rational. Minnesota, like the the West is going to be difficult. There's a lot of teams in the West. I think there's an easier path for Boston, but they still have to get through Milwaukee if Milwaukee's at full health. Uh, But I think Boston has fewer question marks right now than the Warriors do. Plus, the Warriors are going to be another year older, which for the preponderance of teams I just brought up doesn't mean as much because they're young teams. Um, whereas for the Warriors, you're champions, but Father Time is eventually going to catch up. And Draymond at certain points in this finals, even though he had a good game last night, you know, his offense just isn't there anymore, and he's really hesitant to shoot. So much so that when he finally hit a three last night celebrating, as Van Gundy pointed out, I don't know if you can flash the three sign uh, until you hit a couple. Um and we'll see, you know, you bring up Wiseman, who's now has a ring. That is the the silver lining for the Warriors. Kaminga, Moody, and Wiseman, but Kaminga and Moody especially, got a decent run in these playoffs outside of the finals. And I wonder if that was by design for Kerr, knowing I'm probably not going to play these guys at all in the finals, but if we can get them some some minutes and these high pressure moments in the conference finals and the semifinals, et cetera, that really help with them. Um, it's possible though. Don't count them out. Um, so Thomas Stimson says, just got here. What's up? Everybody feels, he feels real good about his golden state and six pick. Uh, you and me both, man, you and me both. Uh, Chris Miner, now that the season is over, I'm pumped for the offseason trade signings. Already a banger with that Christian Wood trade. Uh, well, we got the drafts next Thursday. And then from the draft, there should be some more movement. Now there's talk of uh, Lou Dort to Portland for Portland's number seven pick. I'd be intrigued if OKC does that because they already have too many fucking picks. They can't roster all these guys anyway. They need to package to bring in somebody at some point all the the picks because they can't just draft and stash these guys internationally or the G League, all of them. There's just no way. Um, So they're going to have to shit or get off the pot at some point. So trading Dort for another pick, and then what kind of message does that send to SGA and Giddy? Um especially when they have, what is it, the number two draft pick 
and you could be really building your version of Memphis where we just got young badasses for days. Uh, we shall see, though. But there are others, the um, Mike Conley is now being floated around for uh, Washington. They're very interested in him. And they'd have to give up a draft pick. I think Utah is ready to move on from Conley and or Gobert. So there could be movement on both of those fronts. Unless Mitchell demands a trade and then Mitchell is out. Uh, But yeah, we should have a nice bit of movement right before the draft. And then post-draft, once teams have figured out what young guy they want to go with and they assess their roster as a whole, uh, this offseason should be pretty interesting. So Rashawn Robinson says, uh, the NBA Finals show, you should sit, rest, put players on the injured list on the third part of the season like the Warriors did. Uh, well, I mean, I mean it's uh, fortuitous. Ultimately, that's what it, it pans out to be. Steph got his ankle rolled up by Marcus Smart and had to sit out a chunk of the season. So he had fresher legs uh, for the playoffs. Um, yeah, I, I I would chalk up the Celtics, just the lack of depth, not being able to play guys outside of your starters as much as the Warriors were. Steve Kerr was willing to go deeper into his bench. But when Udoka played his guys, I didn't trust him near as much when you would watch him. Um, so I can understand his hesitancy to do that and want to ride. Just you hope he doesn't tibs these guys and grind them into the ground. Hopefully not, but we shall see. Uh, Yuri McGarley says, as a Mavs fan, I like the wood trade a lot. They basically traded four garbage time players and a late first for a good offensive big man. If he works out, they can ex- extend or re-sign him. Um, and if he doesn't, he's still very tradable or they can just let him, him get off the books at the end of the year. Low risk, high reward. Yeah, I agree. They didn't have to give up. Honestly, Boban is probably just for morale and a fan favorite, the biggest loss in that. Because that late first rounder, it's got value. And the Mavs could use it because they had to sacrifice picks uh, to get Luka in there and to get Porzingis. So it's not like they've got this huge war chest. Uh and you can find real value in the late first round. Several of those were playing in the finals today. You know, Jordan Poole is a late rounder. Uh, Draymond Green is a second rounder. Um, you know, those guys do exist, but the likelihood is slimmer and slimmer the later you get in the round. Um, so you really got to be on top of your shit, and you need to give them time to develop. And get them like, you know, uh, playing time and bring them up kind of slowly. Thomas Stimson says, also a Mavs fan and I love the trade, but we still need a big rim protector. Yeah, you do. Um, Maybe Dallas can get Kevon Looney if he doesn't resign with the Warriors. I'll be interested because I believe the Warriors will be able to, you know, 
quote unquote, go over the cap to re-sign their own guy, though, even though they're already wildly over the cap, but he's getting five and a half million. Does he mean as much to other teams as he does to the Warriors? And is somebody going to offer him the moon to get him off of the Warriors and bring some of that championship medal and mentality? Because if they offer like 15 million for Looney, I would be curious if the Warriors are willing to match that because once you add in the repeater tax dollars, which they're at, that $15 million contract more than likely balloons to like $40 million with all the taxes. So I'd be curious, even though he was huge for him. Now, they switched to starting Otto Porter in games five and six in the last games, but I'm pretty sure that was just to stagger the Draymond and Looney minutes so they had some sort of rim protection out there at all times. Um, and to make sure that, that you don't get Looney into foul trouble early so you can have him out there in late-game situations if you need it. That's my guess. Um, so Josh H. says, hopefully teams will quit trying to buy super teams and start building teams through the draft again. I agree. Homegrown, homegrown championship last year between Milwaukee and Phoenix. Homegrown championship this year. Um, yes, you know, each team has players that they didn't draft. Your, your Al Horford's, your Derek White's, uh, but the preponderance of the rest of the Celtics are guys that they drafted. And then for the Warriors, you know, most of their team is guys they drafted. You've got your Iguodala's and your uh, uh, Otto Porter's and your Andrew Wiggins, but you still have Steph, Clay, Dre, Poole, Kaminga, Moody, technically Wiseman. Uh, can't remember if Toscano Anderson is theirs or not. Um, but yeah, it's instead of just going out in free agency and building your team, which... I don't think anybody has a real problem with until the collusion between super, you know, the star players. And it set a precedent of, well, the only way you're going to win a championship is if you coalesce two or three stars and then get a bunch of vet minimums around them. Um, so with teams like Phoenix and Memphis on the rise, hopefully they do instruct the other teams on the come up your new Orleans, your uh, eventually potentially Houston and OKC uh, to build through the draft, as opposed to just going out and signing free agents. Uh, JMB says, Hey, Hey, coming in late. Hope everybody's doing well. Uh, Matt, who's your dark horse pick for next season to make some noise. Um, I would say new Orleans. Just off the top of my head, I think if you want to go deeper dark horse than that, possibly Houston. And then for the East, Orlando or Detroit, depending on what they do in the draft. They could be super interesting. Those teams are a lot of fun. Um, 
Rashawn Robinson is guaranteed the Heat are going to make a big trade. Well, it is the Miami Heat. Yes, they are. They will do something. They are never content. And I'll be intrigued as to what they do as well. Because they could use another playmaking option. Especially when Bam is going to play kind of tentatively at times. Um, then you're relying on Oladipo quite a bit in those non-Jimmy minutes. And he's still not Oladipo-ish. Or you're relying on Tyler Hero, but if Tyler Hero's off, then it's, it's just it's a precipitous decline once you get past. If a couple guys aren't on for us, we have no shot. Although you could say that for a lot of teams. But in the modern NBA, Jimmy is somewhat a problem in that he doesn't shoot three well. Um, So if that's going to be your superstar, you kind of need him to shoot, you know, 36, 38% from three. If he can shoot in the 40s, amazing. Uh, it just keeps you in more games. So Chris Miners says, any idea where Aiden is going to go? Looks like the favorites are Portland and San Antonio. I've heard so many different teams floated for him. Uh, sure, Portland and San Antonio. Uh, I heard Detroit. Might make a run at him. Um, shoot. There was one other one that seemed kind of credible as well. But Detroit's just like, you're roughly on the same timeline as Cade and our other, and you know, Sadiq Bay and, and our other young guys. This could really work. And if they just go out and offer him the moon, then he shows up and then suddenly Detroit um, is... I mean, between that and whoever they get in the draft, Detroit should be interesting. Them and Orlando, I think, should be very interesting next year. Um, so Jeremy Bauer says, what about a potential Jazz-Mavs trade for Gobert? Well, at this point now, after gotten Christian Wood, the amount of pieces that they, the Mavs would have to put in to do a contract match for Gobert, I don't think makes sense. I'd have to look at their uh, both their salary situations, but Gobert makes a pretty penny, so you're sacrificing somebody that I think you would intend to lean on, although you will more than likely be losing Jalen Brunson. Um, it's not like he eats up a bunch of cap, uh, but if you could do a sign and trade there, but I don't know if I'm Utah, that makes a tremendous amount of sense for me. Um, because I, I would imagine, looks like Brunson wants to play for the Knicks. That's the, that'd be the most Knicksian signing too. A guy who looks great next to a superstar, needing to then go and be a better version of himself on a team that doesn't have the talent. Yeah, that seems like a recipe for overpaying. Um, so J&B says, yeah, I'm all for player power. Uh, but when they kind of manipulate the system to build super teams, not a big fan of that myself. I mean, I'm not against guys saying, look, I want to play with him. We've, you know, in the case of, of the Heat originally, like we were on Team USA together, and when we were on the court or in practice, 
it's just we're we complement each other so well and it's such a fun person to hang out with i really enjoy my time there and i can envision us winning i totally get that it just sets a shitty precedent for everybody else of son of a bitch you now have two or three megastars on one team what chance do the rest of us have really you hope that they're hamstrung by you know the cap situation but yeah i i prefer it for homegrown talent also to kind of incentivize stars to stay in the markets they're in so we don't just get guys flooding to la and new york and Miami and the sexiest destinations. That way we can maintain some sort of parity in this league, but there are benefits to living in all these different places. And I get it. You got to live your life. There's a entire outside of the court situation that you got to deal with. I mean, the difference of living in certain States versus living somewhere like LA or New York is massive. And if you're the type of person that likes nightlife or likes a certain climate or wanting to live at the beach, then maybe, you know, uh, living in Indianapolis and playing with the Pacers isn't your ideal, but somebody like Giannis seems to like the small big city vibe of Milwaukee and it suits him and he doesn't want the, the bright lights and glitz of somewhere like LA. At least that's what he says. And then he backed it up with the, a uh, massive extension when he could have done like a one and one if he wanted to and strung him along and, uh, uh, you know, d- did what LeBron did. And I'm not begrudging LeBron. It kept teams, especially the Cavs, constantly pushing their assets in to win now because that's what's best for the team in the current time frame and LeBron. It is self serving, but he also does open up a championship window. Um, so Rashawn Robinson said, Oh, he's got the, the odds for next year. Warriors are plus 550, Celtics are plus 650, Nets plus 700. Ooh, I wouldn't touch the Nets at plus 700. That seems, that seems really generous. Clippers at 750, wouldn't touch that either. Health issues, no idea. Bucks 750, not bad. None, uh, Suns 900, Mavs 1400. That's a drop off. Nuggets, 1,400. Grizzlies, 1,400. Heat, 1,400. 76ers, 1,400. I wouldn't touch that. Lakers, 2,200. Wouldn't touch that. And then uh, he says, Nost, you can get your Bulls for plus 6,600 with a ha, 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 ha. (laughs) Well, first off, fuck you. And secondly, hey, that's kind of true. Yeah, we're not winning a championship as we're currently constructed. But if we can stay healthy, we'd be feisty. If we're healthy, we can definitely make the semifinals and keep people honest. And I think we'd have a sliver of a chance of making a conference finals. We think it's entirely doable if we're healthy. Just because our defense should be on point and then we could shoot the three with just about anybody else. And then when the three isn't cooking, we got mid-range artists. Uh, interior defense is still going to be a problem. But we keep Giannis, but that being said, last I heard, Lonzo's knee still isn't right. That's disconcerting. 
And then uh, Caruso can get hurt, which sucks because he's a really fun player. But uh, yeah, there's only a couple stayaways on that list, in my opinion. The Nets, Clippers, Sixers, Lakers, I would stay away from all those. The others, I think you could make a legitimate case. Some are a little bit more of a stretch than than others, like Mavs and Nuggets. A little bit of a stretch considering the competition they have to go through, but I do think it's conceivable for the two. Um, yeah, there's some good value in there. I wonder what the odds are for the Warriors to not win. Like you're betting the field against the Warriors. Can't imagine those odds are good. But anyway. Um, so Chris Miner says, speaking of super teams, wonder what LeBron has up his sleeve for the Lakers this year. I don't, I don't, not much. They don't have much. You know, their next available pick to trade, I want to say, is 2027. That's not good. And then their biggest tradable contract technically is LeBron's. That's their best asset right now. The one they would obviously move is Westbrook. Or they could blow the whole thing up and get a return for Anthony Davis and LeBron. Make it Westbrook's team for a season and just restock with draft assets and young players and try and build from the ground up. But that's not something the Lakers do. They tried it for a few years. The fan base got impatient. And then they moved on. I mean, you should should try living in Los Angeles and listen to sports talk radio for the just the, the wild misplaced idea of what the Lakers can do as a front office and what the team should be at all times. Like I get it. You're used to winning. You're used to being the pinnacle of the league and always a tough out for teams, but there's an ebb and flow to this. You have to be down at some point. You can't always be on the Ascension and at the, the mountaintop. Um, but to see some of the trades get mentioned sometimes and be like, okay, what about, you know, Westbrook for Tatum? Who says no? And be like, I, I would imagine the phone comes in. Boston's caller ID shows the Lakers and they just don't pick up. They're like, whatever you have, we don't want. I'm, we're good. We're good. Then they get, uh, Stevens gets a text from Polinka. be like, hey, I tried calling you. Yeah, you didn't pick up. I got the phones. Spotty reception. And they were we installing new systems on the landlines. Sorry about that. What's up? <laughs> uh, yes, I, I, I don't know. But anyway, JMB says Giannis seems impossible to hate. He really does. Although, have you guys seen the the trailer for his Disney Plus movie? And they, you know, his story is remarkable to say the very least. Immigrant in Greece, practically living on the streets. His, his family lives in you know a small apartment, number living in one room, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and just now world champion, numerous MVPs. But they've got you know text up there at some point. It's like the only trio of brothers. 
to all be champions and be like, I mean, are all three champions? They technically, yes, but you know, on some level, Thanasis has a roster spot because his, his brother's name is, you know, Giannis. And uh, the others, uh, the one, the gentleman that won his with the Lakers, I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Um, I don't know how much he contributed. I mean, it was a fun storyline that he got to hold it over his brother for a short duration that, hey, I'm the first Atenokounmpo champion in this family. But, uh, you know, it's a bit of a stretch. Technically true. But, uh, so Chris Miner says, I believe Toronto is the only heavy favorite for Aiden. That would be interesting. Sure. I could see it working in Toronto. And it seems as though anybody that plays there, by and large, is loyal to that organization and fan base. They love it up there. I mean, the taxes situation and the weather are obviously the biggest hurdles uh, just because you're going to get taxed more on all those home games. So you're not taking home the pay that you were uh, previously the reported number, but outside of Kawhi, cause you can't get a sense of Kawhi one way or the other. Although you always knew that he wanted to come back to Southern California to play. So it was pretty much always going to be a rental in Toronto and it worked out in their favor. So they, they got their championship and I can't imagine a single person complained and they, uh, they lauded him when they came back, uh, rightly so. But uh, Aiden to Toronto, sure. Um, so JMB says, Madnos to NBA Sharp. I don't know about that. Rashawn Robinson says, LA Sports Radio and ESPN is unlistenable. I prefer sports gambling to get my sports news. Uh, I just listened to a whole bunch of different uh, sports uh, basketball podcasts. And then during the NFL, during the NFL season, there's fewer podcasts I listen to. And then I, I do listen to sports radio here, but it is then still mostly Rams and some Chargers within the outlandish. Now that the Rams have got a Super Bowl, I would imagine. Although, thankfully, there's not near as many Rams fans and they're not as fervent and they don't have the expectation level. So perhaps they won't balloon into being insufferable like a lot of Lakers fans are. That's the first thing I say to somebody when they I meet them out here and they're like, oh, I'm a Lakers fan. Be like, are, are you a good Lakers fan? Or are you a delusional Lakers fan? And invariably I get a, what do you mean? And then I explain the delusional aspect. And uh, I, you know, you can feel them out before you do that. Cause I'm not going to just start disparaging. Cause you could run into somebody and be like, well, we should be able to trade Westbrook for like, okay. All right. Well, that's that's crazy talk. Why would the other team be interested in this trade? But anyway, um, so JMB says Matt throwing dirt at the heartwarming story that is Giannis, truly a cold blooded man. Look, I'm just saying that card, that title card they put up, a bit much, a bit of a stretch. So Chris Miner says he's just ready for the Spurs to go all out for that play in game. We'll see. I can't imagine Pop would let them sacrifice their future flexibility just for the play-in game. 
Um, so Josh Mabry says, do you think the Jazz move Mitchell? I think that's Mitchell's choice and not the Jazz's. Unless somebody comes into the Jazz with a godfather offer. I don't think, I think they just assume all is fine with Mitchell. Keep, uh, you know, full steam ahead and uh, we will look for trade partners for other individuals on this team. We're going to try and keep you at all costs. Um, so Jake Cleveland has another Donovan Mitchell question. Where do you think he'll end up? Wherever Donovan Mitchell wants to go. So Bowers, oh, thank you, man. Just says I'm the only legitimate basketball opinion he'll listen to and I should be paid for it. Yeah, well, there are other legitimate basketball opinions out there, but that's very kind of you to say. Um, so Bowers, he's a good Lakers fan. He's a realist. And then uh, Rashawn Robinson agrees with my delusional or real. Um, yeah, just, I get it. You're used to winning, but dear God, you gotta be able to look. It's like when Rashawn bringing up my bulls are plus 6,600 and be like that. Yeah, that's. You know, I can't sit here and be like, ah, uh, you know, Zach Levine is the next coming. Be like, hey, let's let's not go too far here. Um. All right. So, final question from Josh Mabry: Do you think the Celtics regret letting Rozier go? It'd be nice to have that. I think at the price point that Rozier got, they were obviously unwilling to match, and then at times in Charlotte. He's shown flashes of being worth every penny of that, but it's it's somewhat hit and miss with Rozier. I think he is a better player than I gave him credit for. Because uh, to me, he was full-on Scary Terry in the worst ways. He was trick-or-treat. Certain nights, he is going to be unstoppable, and other nights, he is just going to continue to shoot and not read the room of, fuck, I'm not making anything tonight. Maybe I should get my teammates involved. And he had to, to me a habit of not being able to sense when that was as quickly as he should have. It's also easy for me to say I'm not in these games. Um, but it would be nice to have that playmaking coming off the bench. But then if you have him, does Smart ascend to the point guard status that he's at now? Do you get those extra minutes for Derek White and Peyton Pritchard and try and develop, especially Pritchard? Although, like I said earlier, they do need a veteran backup at point guard, uh, somebody out there, they can just come in and give them a solid, you know, 12, 15, 18 minutes a night and then get different combinations and rotations and lineups in there. But I think at Rozier's price point and given the trajectory of where they were at at that specific time, I think it's kind of difficult to say, God, I wish we'd held on to him because I don't think that they would be at this point now if they'd had him because you wouldn't have the set pecking order of the team, in my opinion. Like it took Kyrie leaving to firmly establish that Jason and Jalen are our two guys and Marcus is our three. Instead of them standing around watching Kyrie be amazing at times. Um, so. Now, if they could go out and get Rozier, perhaps to bring him back, because he'd have a better understanding of what we need your role on this team to be. 
Um, but I think I would set my sights a little bit higher than someone like Terry Rozier. Um, Jeremy Bowers is the, the last person saying he, look, he wants the Lakers to be good, but he sees how they're constructed and the roster doesn't work. Plus you're kind of cap hamstrung and you don't have picks. You are what you are for minimum the next year, unless you decide to trade one of your major guys. Um, but that is it. That is all for, for dropping dimes today. A hell of a series. Congratulations to the Warriors. Winners in six. And to the Celtics for an incredible playoff run. Um, it was an entertaining series. I enjoyed damn near every second of it. Uh, thankfully, it got away from the systematic pattern it seemed like in a lot of the rest of the playoffs where team a gets up by 20 points maintain the 20 points over team b and then the game closes and it was a 20 point game and you didn't need to watch uh that got a little dull at times um so these games were more competitive i would love to have had a buzzer beater in this but what are you gonna do um but that being said so between now and next week, unless there's some massive trades or something, I think I'm going to take next week off. Uh, I'll come back at some point, like once the trade deadline opens back up more than likely, because I don't watch college. So who takes who in the draft? I really don't know these guys until I watch them play. Um. Like Paolo's the only person I've seen more, play more than one game. I think I've seen two and a half of his games. Chet, I've watched a half. Uh, and then after that, like I got nothing. So my opinion on the draft is pointless. Um, you know, I could watch a bunch of other people's opinions and then just regurgitate that to you and go watch some mixtapes and stuff like that. But and mixtapes are just their highlights. You don't see some of the boneheaded shit. Like I, I liked Pokeshevsky after watching a bunch of his mixtapes. And it's like, there's something to him. And then you watch him in games and be like, yeah, he's, he's kind of like a Neesmith on the Celtics to me, except slightly more confounding in that he'll have an amazing play, whether it's an on the dribble, uh, full momentum pull up or a gorgeous, like behind the back dish, uh, it's just something incredible. And then followed up the very next two plays, something boneheaded and really stupid. Uh, you don't see that in the mixtape. So it's easy to fall in love with guys on their mixtapes. Cause that's, although the one thing they can tell you is if you see the same repeated action over and over again, be like, okay, well perhaps they project to be elite at that one skill, which in the NBA, so long as you're elite at one skill, you can have a job in the league. Um, and if you can be elite at like two skills, you can have a job for a very long time in the league, hence three and D. Um, but yeah, so probably the trade deadline will be the next drop in dimes, but I'm going to take next week off, uh, more than likely, unless there's some seismic trades in advance of the draft on Thursday. But, uh, thank you to everybody that joined me. All season long. It's a long season. 
started in uh, uh, you know October. Here it is June, running once a week, every week since then. And my thanks to everybody that joined me impromptu show today. I forgot to even give the time, and yet we still had uh, 19, 20 people show up and stream live and watch it a ton in the chat. So my thanks to Yuri McGarley, Jeremy Bowers, Daniel Savoy, Sean Gardner, Chris Miner, Thomas Stimson, Rashawn Robinson, Josh H., JMB, and Jake Cleveland, I believe. Oh, and Josh Mabry. And that appears to be everybody. I hope I didn't miss somebody's name. Thanks, everybody. Stay safe out there. I'll see you guys in the near future. Until then, look forward to that draft. Hopefully your team does what you'd like them to do. Adios. Adios.